Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the teen, your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low and your Tilo, Lorenzo, my cousin, my lovely husband. Hey. We're on our fourth attempt at putting out a podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Literally just recorded 20 <laughs> minutes of it. And uh, Lorenzo realized he forgot to press record. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I hate him. <laughs> okay, so... Going to try this all over again, folks. And you don't care because you're listening to this. Like, you didn't hear the other half hour of me recording. I'm sorry. Anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> it's been a very busy week here at Tilo International Headquarters. Um, uh, I want to start off with a bit of an apology because we started off the year by saying that we were going to move this podcast forward in I the know. week and not do it on Fridays. But uh, sometimes the week doesn't really hand you something. And Wednesday rolled around and we looked at each other and said, I don't really have anything for a podcast. And then Thursday rolled around and I was like, I sort of do, but I need some time to figure it out, blah, 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 blah. So it wound up getting pushed back to Friday. And then we were going to do this podcast first thing, like eight o'clock this morning. But we got up and there was actually a ton of content. A ton of stuff to do, yeah. Uh, we're so not complaining. no, I mean, no, we, of course not. It's great yeah. to have content, but we do apologize. We we really do want to do these podcasts earlier in the week, but sometimes, uh, you know, we're we're still in a weird time. We never know what's going to happen every. I mean, day. my goodness, yeah. we're you know, twenty twenty one is going to be as weird as twenty twenty was, yeah, and um, you know, when it comes to the type of work that we do, we've talked about this extensively on this podcast, so we're not going to go into it again. But you know, it has an effect on. You know, things that happen in the world, including like an insurrection and a pandemic and, you know, presidential election, all the stuff that's been going on, it has an effect on pop culture and then it has an effect on the Mm -hmm. businesses that surround pop culture, one of which is ours. So, um, and we, we really don't know what's, what we're going to do until sometimes the last minute, you know, like, because sometimes we go to bed and we have no idea what we're going to do the next day. Exactly. Uh, it's just the way things are. With our business, um, you know, that's, yeah. that's it. That's pretty much um, it. But we do have some thoughts on a few things yes. that have happened this week. I'm going to jump right in and go into something that Lorenzo has no interest in, which is the the Sandman casting news. Um, I was very excited when Netflix announced that they were adapting the uh, Sandman, which was a comic book series that ran from 1988 to 1997 it has won every award you could imagine fantasy and 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 other awards i believe it won science fiction awards at the time it is probably the most famous comic series in the world it is uh the comic series that non-comic fans all have read it uh had an enormous influence on um uh the goth aesthetic movement uh, in the 90s, and a lot of the, those characters became, like, iconic to goths at the time. Um, although, I don't want you to, if you don't know much about it, you shouldn't let that color your perception of it. Um, it's just an amazing fantasy series with a deeply complicated, sprawling, intricate story full of characters that spanning centuries. Um and I said this in the earlier recording that did not record, <laughs> but I will say that what one of the things that made me excited about the possibility of a Sandman series... Look, uh, fans of this series have been waiting near over 30 years or, or 25 years for some sort of adaptation of this series, uh, knowing that it is difficult 
um, the way it was written and the types of stories that it tells, it would be very difficult to adapt those stories. Mm-hmm. But when Peter Jackson adapted the Lord of the Rings, I, I started thinking about Sandman. And then when Game of Thrones came along on HBO and I realized that's what Sandman needs to be. If anybody ever does it, it needs to be a television series. Uh, it can't be a film because you'll never get it all in there. Um, so I was glad that Netflix did it. I'm a little nervous because Netflix tends to lose interest in series after like three seasons. Mm-hmm. And Sandman needs more than that. It's going to need five to seven seasons wow. as far as I'm concerned. But we'll see. Uh, I'm just excited about the casting news because any any adaptation was going to live or die on its casting. Um they cast British actor Tom Sturridge as Dream. He's the lead character. And to be, I said this on Twitter yesterday or the day before, it honestly doesn't matter. I mean, they have to get the look right and there has to be the right style of acting in order to pull it off. But Dream is the least interesting character in the whole thing. Um, and as long as he's got great cheekbones, pouty lips, and you know can do moody, almost any actor would work. Um, he looks the part. He, he looks like he's going to look great as the character. I have no thoughts about i had no thoughts uh, last year when it came up i think i said i wanted riz ahmed as dream but this is fine um <laughs> what really excites me is gwendolyn christie as uh lucifer which is uh it's good okay we're just double checking that we're still recording okay uh because this is about the time it dropped out in the last version i know all right go anyway ahead. um Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, the the book version, the comic version of Lucifer is if you saw that if you know the TV show Lucifer, that very hot British actor who plays Lucifer, that is based on the same source material. So he is essentially playing a, a slightly different version of the same Lucifer. Uh, uh, so it's interesting that they cast a woman in the part. However, it's so right because Lucifer had in the in the Sandman books at least had this sort of dangerous sensual sort of androgyny he was presented as male but at least in his initial appearances he was drawn a lot to look like uh bowie in the 70s so he was there was a clear androgyny there so having someone like gwendolyn one of the things about gwendolyn christie i I think a lot of people look at her her aesthetic and they what a commanding performer she Mm -hmm. is but she's got a face out of a Renaissance painting. That's true. That's she has true, yeah. a Renaissance Madonna face. Like a face. knight kind of. Like like a da- or no, like a Da Vinci Madonna. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, she can straddle that line like, yeah, of male-female. Female and male, yeah. But she has the such an old, old-fashioned looking face that looks like something out of religious artwork, which actually makes... I, I can't wait to see how they costume her. I can't wait to see what they do with her. In this role, because she is Lucifer, the king of hell. Like, that's who she's playing. Um, it's not some coy thing. Like, the first time you meet him in the story, he is, like, on a throne of skulls. It's not wow. subtle at <laughs> all. So, um, interesting. love that. <clears throat> the other vaguely interesting thing is that they cast a black woman to play Lucian, who, in the books, is a white man. And I looked at that, and I thought, it, I thought, oh... Huh, that doesn't change a thing. It really doesn't. Uh, it was a good show. The book, you know, as it was written in the 1980s and 1990s, and it was a comic book, which means it wasn't as. Uh, I won't get into that. Comics 30 years ago are very different from what comics are like now. But I'll just say it was hard to find uh, 
characters of color or even women in most stories. So Sandman at the time had a ton of boys in it and very few women in it. Uh, I will give Neil Gaiman, the writer, a lot of credit is that when he did write women, he wrote some of the most nuanced, interesting women uh, in comics at the time. And there are some great female characters in this story going forward. However, it seems to me, based on the casting, that the at least the first season of Sandman is going to be based on the first storyline in Sandman, of which there are very few women in that story. So, turning Lucian, who is essentially the Alfred to uh, Dream's Sandman, it's essentially his major domo, his, his conscience, his Jiminy Cricket, um, changing him from a white man to a black woman doesn't really change anything about the character. Um, and I actually think it will add some nuance. I don't want to give anything away about Lucian. You find stuff out about Lucian through the, the length of the story, and... Uh, I think it'll be interesting when that comes up, when, when, if they go that route, if they go the route of Lucian's hidden background, it'll be interesting having that story play out with the black woman. Hmm. Uh, aside from that, I have no, oh, the other thing is Charles Dance. Oh my God, he's awesome. Is uh, he's so cast great. as yeah. Roderick Burgess, who is an important character in the story, but he's not in it for that long. Um, so it, that's what makes me, I'm like, wow, they put a really big, important actor in a role that uh, it makes me wonder how much time they're going to spend on that initial story with the, mm-hmm. Roderick in it. Uh, later, because most of the story plays out with Roderick's grown son much later on. Don't want to give too much away. Anyway, it's good news. I'm very happy with this news. Very excited. I love that they cast women in parts that were written for men, and it it actually not only makes sense, it's going to add some really interesting twists. Uh, Lucifer and Dream have a very interesting relationship and written a certain way, looked at it a certain way. On the page, it almost came off homoerotic at times. So putting a woman in there, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it'll just be very interesting to see what that is like. So I'm very excited. And Gwendolyn Christie can handle material like this, obviously. She did Game of Thrones for seven years, as can Charles Dance. So all good news all around. Um... Then I just wanted to touch briefly because I just felt like, oh, I guess we need to discuss. Uh, Cloris Leachman and Cicely Tyson both died this week. And I really was struck, um, you know, longtime actors and actresses die and there's always the same sort of retrospective and there's always the same sort of look at their what they did for the culture and look at the range and what they won awards for and this and that and the other thing. And all of that was true, but it was compounded by the fact that they're so old. Um, it's rare that you're celebrating the work of actors who pass in their mid-90s and were still active. Someone published a, a, a statistic that um, Cloris Leachman appeared on screen Every year since 1947. Yeah, it's insane. Every single year she was on screen. I went to her IMDb page. It's like 300 listings. And I couldn't believe I kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and it would never end. Uh, Now, Cicely Tyson, because she was a black actress at a Uh time when roles were not, you know, her her on-screen footprint isn't as large as Cloris Leachman, but it's still, you are talking about a body of work that is enormous. Mm Mm-hmm. That spans enormous social change um, and aesthetic changes to go from, like, for Cloris Leachman to go from 
Kiss Me Deadly, which I believe was her film debut, to The Last Picture Show, which uh, she won the Oscar for. And just the way film had changed in those less than 20 years. And then she went on to become this legendary comedic performer on television and in Mel Brooks films. Cicely Tyson, what really strikes me about Cicely Tyson's work, um, Sounder and the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman and Roots, and is that so much of her work had so much importance to it. It wasn't just a movie. It was a cultural statement. Uh And she was very clear when talking about her career. Her autobiography just came out just like this week. Um that she made these choices very, very deliberately and that she chose roles that she felt uplifted her as a black woman, but also uplifted black women around her. And that is, I mean, that is not her blowing smoke, man. You look at her career, you look at the work that she did, and it's like, wow, everything had so much weight and so much meaning to it. She was not frivolous about her work. Um, and that's all I want to, neither Cloris Leachman nor Cicely Tyson, uh, are legends in the same way. I don't know, Elizabeth Taylor, Joan, you know what I mean? And I tried to make the point yesterday that their legend is bound not up in this culture's changing stardom. You know, they didn't become iconic movie star figures. Their legend was bound up in the depth of their work. They did so much work for so long that touched so many people that it didn't matter if they didn't become huge, huge movie stars. I think there's a tendency uh, for people in general in the industry to elevate whoever is a lead in a movie or or a TV show. And and the supporting actors don't get that kind of attention or or, uh, appreciation most of the time. But there are so many incredible people who've done incredible work but they're supporting actors their entire career so they don't get the recognition that they deserve the importance that they you know their contribution uh you see a lot of that and then when you when someone like those two ladies die you know then you go back and look at their career and you can't believe the amount of work that they did right it's like wow you deserve your rest because my god you worked really hard and well like um, and I think that's one of the great. They both just did good damn work. I was going to say that again. I think the the good thing about well, you know, obviously you want to be a star or have your work recognized, you know, in a much higher level. But uh, the good thing about supporting actors in general is that they they tend to pick whatever they tend to choose what they do more than a, than a lead actor. I think in general because you know, you know you know what I'm trying to say like like because they they they're not the main character in a movie, they tend to pick parts that they're they're they feel that they can add to it. I mean, I'll give. I'll, I think those two did. Yeah, right, I don't I'll know that you, everybody has no, that but option. I agree, but there are a, a bunch of people like that, like Francis McDormand, for example. Exactly. It's one of these actors that um, they they what they do is so amazing, and it it it, it you know what I mean, right? Uh, as an art form. Uh, and they don't always get the recognition. It's not about stardom for them. Right, it's exactly. about the work. It's about the work. Um, so we, I just wanted to pay a little tribute to that right. because I do think they they really, to, to have two such long-standing figures die in the same week in their 90s, knowing, and I mean, it's not like they died 20 years after their last appearance. They were both still working into their 90s. Um, I think it'll... 
I don't want to get ahead of things, but I think it'll sort of be the same thing when Rita Moreno goes, right. who was also in her 90s, where you're going to look at the depth of her work and realize, my God, she's been working for a really long time, and she's been working really, really hard. I agree. Um, is that your phone pinging away? No, it's probably yours. No, because I turned mine <laughs> no, off, mine bitch. is off anyway. <laughs> no, getting all mad. None of you can hear it, but uh, one of us is getting a lot of text messages, and it ain't me. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. But anyway, uh, so so that's uh, yeah. Do you have anything else? Did you have a TV series you wanted to talk about? Or? Well, I've been. Uh, it, it's funny because I've been watching a lot of TV, but not focusing too much on on things. But I I I did watch uh, the last season of Call My Agent, uh, which is an amazing French uh, show on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It's one of those great French series that it it's really French. In the sense that it's not an Emily in Paris kind of thing. It's the real deal. It's great performers. It's great French actors uh, doing a phenomenal job. The uh, The series is about an agency uh, with agents representing... A talent agency. Yeah, a talent agency. Uh, we, you know, with a bunch of people representing uh, a bunch of famous people. Uh, and it's funny because they do... Uh, have a lot of guest appearance. Uh, you know, they have a lot of guests, uh, incredible actors, French actors. Um, and the last, I didn't know this was the last season, uh, uh, the one that they have on right now on Netflix, season four. Uh, I found out later after I watched the series that it was the last one. The creators decided to end the show. They said, you know, they told their story, uh, which I find awesome. When, when creators make that decision. It, it, it sucks for me because I love the show and I would like to see more, but they said they're done. Uh, and it's funny because the last season has uh, Sigourney Weaver as, as, a, as one of the actresses and she plays this diva and she's amazing. Um, so she's really funny in it. So I, I highly recommend it. Start from the beginning. It's four seasons um, and it's great. It's a great, funny show. And if you get a little bit of the French humor, uh, you're gonna love it because it it's all about that French sarcasm, you know, kind of like moody, uh, you know, sense of humor. The other show I watched, uh, it's called Lupin. It's it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, it's inspired. This is all gonna loop into our next topic about. Yeah. Go ahead. So Lupin, it, it's actually I didn't even know this character. He's kind of like <laughs> a Sherlock Holmes slash James Bond slash I don't know. Uh, this gentleman, this icon in France, I didn't know about him. Uh, but the show is inspired by a uh, series of, of books uh, written by, uh, I forget his name, uh, anyway. But, um, but it's a bit, oh, written by Maurice Leblanc. And, and they were written back in 1905 or something. And, and then they're, they're, he created this character. And he's sort of like a gentleman thief, kind of like slash James Bond character. This very handsome, well-dressed man, um, and it's a bunch of books that I didn't know anything about, and and I just read that it's a very famous character in France, like it's this icon in France, and now they finally made a series uh, based on the books. Um, the guy who plays the main character, Lupin, he's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful man, and he's funny and a great actor. Uh, his name, I, I believe, is Omasai or Omasi. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But it's a great show. I think you like it. Uh, I didn't like the way it ended. I actually talked about it on Twitter, that it, it ended in a very bizarre place. Uh, <clears throat> but you see that a lot, and I actually talked about it here on the podcast, that that's kind of a thing now, especially with shows like... Uh, with places like Netflix, they just end the story very abruptly. And, and 
because they expect to have a second season or a third season. And I can't stand that. What if the second season doesn't come, you know? Right. So you, you're stuck with, it ended in a way that I was like, that's it. I actually was like looking for another episode. Um, so that's the only part that I didn't like, but apparently they are going to have a, a second season. So, you know, it's all good, but these are my recommendations in terms of if you haven't Call my agent and Lupin. Yeah, I haven't watched them yet. Uh, Lorenzo's in a very French mood, apparently. But that those are my shoes right now. All right, then. Um, moving on to, I mean, uh, our next topic, our main topic, I guess. Um, it's a very unformed topic. We're just going to bat this around a little bit. It helped. I had this idea that we were going to talk about this yesterday, and I said to Lorenzo, here's my idea. I just want you to sit on this and maybe tomorrow we'll bat this around. And then I got up this morning and this article came out in The Hollywood Reporter that actually is a good launching point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, um, it's an article about the numbers that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 did for Warner Media and for HBO Max. Apparently it did huge Nielsen rating numbers. Um, I have literally no idea what that means in terms of the money involved and whether Warner recouped its money on that or not. Um, uh, that's not really what I wanted to talk about. One of the things that they list in the article is the, the top 10 streaming for December 21st to 27th, which would be just a, almost exactly a month ago. And I'm going to read most of the top 10. Wonder Woman 1984, Soul... Uh, Bridgerton, Midnight Sky, The Mandalorian, and The Crown. I'm not reading the ones like The Office and stuff like that. I'm talking about the new releases, and mm-hmm. I'm leaving out the Christmas releases. So Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, Bridgerton, Midnight Sky, The Mandalorian, and The Crown. My point is this, and I brought this up to Lorenzo last night. I, I mean, our jobs is to write about the culture and to write about things that are on TV and to write about movies and that sort of thing. And as we've outlined all this past year, it's been a difficult time for uh, uh, outlets like our own, uh, any outlet that's dealing with pop culture or fashion. It's been a difficult time because, you know, things are weird right now. But one of the things I'm noticing, and it's really hard to sort of quantify this or articulate this, but it feels like our pop, the, the footprint of pop culture projects, whether that's a film or a television series. Uh, And I guess that would be true of album drops as well, although music is not my expertise and I never write about it. But in terms of films and television, projects will come out now and everybody talks about them and then you never hear about them again after day five. It just, our interest in stuff has dropped off so quickly and we bounce from thing to thing to thing. As I said to Lorenzo last night, as I to try and bring, I was like, do you ever notice that nobody talks about the crown? Like nobody talks about it and nobody has talked about it for well over a month. Uh, and that's not even the best example because the crown came out in November. The, I backed it up with the next one. I was like, do you ever notice hardly anyone's talking about Bridgerton? Like, it was this explosive debut. Everyone got real excited about it, and nobody talks about it anymore. Um, Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, uh, Sylvie's Love, Midnight Sky, all this stuff that came out in the last month mm-hmm. that just disappears. The Mandalorian, like, okay, it ended, and we're done. It's, but even now, like, uh, WandaVision, 
drops every single week. It's it. I mean, it's a Disney Plus show. It's the only new Marvel thing that's going on right now. You can tell that people are hungry for it, and yet people still don't talk about it all that much. Yeah, I'll give you an, an example. Like uh, I remember last year, uh, way before the the pandemic. Everyone was talking about Nomadland with Frances McDormand. Uh, when, when she was doing the rounds, all the festivals and everything in Europe, everyone was talking how it was going to be this incredible movie. Right. And her performance was amazing. And then we got screeners. I watched and I got all excited about it. And I talked about it many, many times on Twitter and everywhere. And then it dropped and nobody talks about it anymore. Nobody it's talks just, about any movies. It's just like, uh, what happened here? I remember like it was like pulling teeth talking about Promising Young Woman. Uh, right? Right. And it was the thing that everybody was expecting <laughs> uh, to drop. And then it dropped and it was like, all right, uh, I don't hear anybody talking about it. I just want to say, like, this is a combination of factors, I feel, as people who watch this sort of thing. Uh, we have, and we talked about this on this podcast in the past, we have uh, effectively broken the monoculture. There is no such thing. There are no watercolor, uh, watercolor TV shows anymore. Everybody's off watching their own streaming this, that, or the other. So we don't have these moments like everybody watching the season finale of Lost. Those kind of moments are gone. Um, so there's that aspect to it, which is that uh, our culture has become so segmented and nobody watches the same thing all the time. But even, even I mean, that's been going on for years, but it really wasn't until this year and the actual pandemic lockdown. Oh, that's the other one. That Anne Hathaway movie, Locked Down, came out. And the, then boof. Bo- has anyone mentioned it? Like, what <laughs> right. What happened to that? Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I can't articulate it any better than that. I know from my own working experience that these movies and these TV shows in a normal year would have a footprint that lasted at least a month to six weeks of constant coverage, constant social media engagement. You would just hear about them right. all the time to the point that you would probably get sick of them. Right. Um, even if, you, like, and this continued well past the death of the monoculture. I mean, haven't you ever been in a situation where some long time, like Supernatural, that show Supernatural, that ended this year, and... Uh, it had nothing to do with me because I stopped watching that show like six years ago. And it's when a show ends, a beloved show ends and you're not a fan of that show. It always feels like, Oh my God, will everyone please shut the F up about this TV show. Even after the monoculture broke, you still had these, well, everyone please stop talking about the end of arrow or whatever, you know? (laughs) Um, and I will admit that supernatural did have a long, I mean, people still won't shut up about that one. But even so, these, these I don't know how to say it, this footprint, this, this aura that surrounds any project, but be it a movie or a television series, um, it extends for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. You, and I guess this is the result of a year of no red carpets, very few talk show appearances, uh, very few um, chances for these projects to be promoted in a way that they are constantly part of the conversation. And in a way, it actually highlights how important things like talk shows and red carpets and photo calls really are. You take them out and and look. No one's talking about these things anymore. I think the entertainment industry relied on this well-oiled machine, which was all these 
things like red carpet, TV shows, right. <clears throat> social media, all these things, talking about a certain show or a certain movie, you know, nonstop. And then you take that away and then you don't have much. Um, and you add, like, again, it's a pandemic. Well, There was an insurrection. Right, right. There was a presidential election that was highly contentious. All of these things distract Believe me, this has been our work this year, was was trying to pull people's attention right. away from all that stuff and towards more frivolous things. And I think the fact that a lot more people are working from home, so there's not much social interaction. No, so about, people don't talk about their shows. To talk about the shows, to, to you know, suggest a show or whatever, uh, with all these Zoom things going on, you, you don't have that communication where you can kind of re relax and talk about your favorite show. I think all these things combine... Because uh, I see, I follow all these stylists on on Instagram, and I see how much, how how they're struggling uh, yeah. to 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 keep going, and uh, they you know, and all these people trying to promote their movies and TV shows, but you know they can't be they can't be present. Uh, you know they do all these Zoom things, and it's not the same. No, it's not the same. Every week we get um, invites to attend these virtual screenings, right? Which means. And I hate them because instead of just sending me a link to a screener that I can watch at any time, I literally have to attend like a Zoom right. interview and watch like the director interview the star and then we'll start the movie and then we'll take... And I've heard a lot of critics who are like, I'm not sitting through all that. I don't have the time to sit through all that. So I just feel like it, there's so many factors at play here and we are like canaries in a coal mine when it comes to pop culture. And I feel like we are noticing things before they start playing out, you know, before other people are noticing them. Although we're not the first, I, uh, believe me, several pieces have been written about this already. But I don't think that the public has, started, it has realized, mm -hmm. here's why this bothers me um, and why I'm fear, I fear that this will not correct after, after we get out of this period. What, what bothers me about it is that It feels like so much of our pop culture has now become completely disposable. The Crown will watch it in one weekend and never talk about it, even though it is one of the most expensive shows on television and looks like it, even though it has this amazing cast of well-known actors, and, and some of them are movie stars, um, we'll consume it in one weekend, we'll talk about it on social media for a little bit, and then nobody talks about it again. It just... Wonder Woman 1984, like, it came out. It's this huge, like, $250 million film. Uh, and, I mean, to be fair, uh, Wonder Woman 84 got terrible reviews, and that may have been part of the reason why it dropped out of the conversation. But other things, like, Soul got amazing reviews, and I don't hear anybody talking about that. Uh, in past years, when a Pixar film came out and got amazing reviews and all everyone was weeping, and that would be coverage for four to six months like right. think of like finding nemo or whatever um it's, it's, just it's that they, it, I, yeah. i fear that when this is over the culture will not learn will not snap back we're going to just con continue to treat everything like a disposable piece of culture that we consume and then toss aside and then we consume the next one and there's no i don't know i i don't want to sound like an old person but um I I do feel like even well yeah I do feel like when 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 a, someone puts two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of work into a movie and there's a crew of a hundred people and there's really good actors and when all this work is being put into it 
I do feel like, you know, especially if it's good, it should be allowed to breathe and have an effect on the culture rather than immediately get tossed aside for the next thing. Right. Uh, and, and it's not just movies. It's TV series, too. I mean, we, we talked about One Division. Or The Mandalorian or anything right. like I mean, that. And incredible productions. I mean, intelligent work, uh, creative work, and then very few people were talking about it. Or you talk about it, as you said, for a few days and then it disappears. WandaVision uh, trends on social media every Friday when it drops and then that's it. That's it. Until the next... And I don't know. I just feel like... I I feel like we're um, cycling too rapidly through our culture. And right, I guess part of what bothers me is that you know, very little is getting produced right now because... You know, producing films and television shows are a little difficult in, in the middle of a pandemic. So we're consuming all this stuff like it's junk food. Uh, and I guess my fear is, in the end, the, the, cult, the um, entertainment industry is going to simply decide to send out junk food. Uh, that it's not going to send out work that where people tried all that hard because why try all that hard if people are it's going to be consumed in 12 hours and never mentioned again right i'll, I'll give you another example we got a ton of emails from from uh you know movie press people and and and, and then we get we get all these movies we get those emails about a screener a new screener a new movie and then i look at it and i'm like i, I never heard of this movie nobody's talking about this nobody's movie. talking about it and then you look you and you go and you look at the list of, of of actors and they're major actors some of them are you know famous people uh in the movie and you're like why isn't anybody talking about it uh it's just they're just been putting you know they're just putting them out and not really promoting them right. in a way they used to in the past uh it, it just feels like it's very fast and i don't know just just the need to just get rid of them i don't have um i don't have a solution to offer here i don't even have i i feel like we haven't even articulated this as well as we could have but this is honestly the first part of COVID, of this whole past year, that I feel like, oh, I don't think we're going to get over this. I think this, I think we've broken something in ourselves, and I'm not sure how quickly we're going to get that back. Um, we are consuming our culture at such a rapid pace and not even stopping to digest it, I guess, that uh, it makes me fear that um, quality work is just not going to happen anymore. Why Why put out quality work when it's just going to be consumed and forgotten within hours? Um, I don't know what this means. I don't know uh, how to fight this or fix this or whatever. But lately, in the last two to three months, uh, I guess because it, it's really becoming acute because this is the period... Uh, from Christmas to uh, to do about now, from from actually Thanksgiving to about now, when um, all of the prestige films are being released at the end mm-hmm. of the year, right. so that they can get Oscar consideration, and all of like when I think of like George Clooney's Midnight Sky or Sylvie's Love or whatever, those are prestige prod. Uh, you know, or One Night in Miami, like uh, Regina King. Right. The only reason we're still talking about it is because God bless her, Regina King goes out every day in a new outfit. Right, but. Um, these would be getting serious, serious, serious awards consideration right now. And these people would not just be on the magazines, of, you know, the covers of all the magazines. They would be on The View and Good Morning America. Right, and, every TV and, show. Yeah, yeah I mean. everywhere. Um, Ryan and Kelly. And they would be on all of those shows. They would be doing build series in New York, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they would just be a constant level of engagement with the press uh, and critics writing about it. And I don't feel like any of that is happening anymore. Um, when I go and look at, well, I follow the critical community. I feel like I'm peripherally part of the television and film critical community. And that feels so splintered where it's like, well, uh, you know, people are talking about Dickinson. Well, who's watching Dickinson? Right. I know it's popular, but it's what does popular mean? Or or Ted Lasso. They're all talking. All the TV critics are talking about Ted. I don't have Apple TV, so these shows don't actually even feel real to me. And I think that's part of it as well. Um, you have to have CBS All Access and Prime Video and Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and HBO Max, and now they're coming out with Paramount Plus. This segmenting and segmenting and resegmenting is not helping. And I do fear that, um, I don't know, like I want a diversity of, of material out there. And all of these various platforms do allow for diverse material. But what good is diverse material if no one's watching it or right. if it's only being watched by small segments of the population and nobody else knows what you're talking about? Right. It just came out that Bridgerton is, is the biggest hit, a Netflix hit. And and it doesn't feel like that. It because, doesn't feel like because that. Because these people are not on the red carpet. And we keep talking about the red carpet. But believe me, the red carpet means a lot because these people will be photographed when they're on the red carpet. Right. And those images will be in every magazine, you know, every tabloid, everything, everywhere. Uh, when you don't have those images, uh, you can't promote them just using, for example, uh, um, movie the movie shots. Because they, they get old and get, they right. get, and then you you move on. Uh, movies and TV shows, the best way to promote them, <coughs> and the more effective way to promote them, the most effective way to promote them, is using images of the the, the actors, right, uh, on the red carpet, attending something, uh, talking about something. And if you don't have that, then people, it's not in your face as often. Yeah, I also there's so many factors here. There's also the idea that um, a lot of these films. Uh, we would have gone out to a movie theater to see these films. And then we would have gone and met people at a restaurant and told them about the film we, or at a party. And have you seen this film? Have you seen this? All of that's gone. So to watch a movie now is to just load it up on your on your phone or your TV and just press play. And, and you know, that's that's a new release. To watch a TV series now is to binge the entire thing in one weekend. And you don't have that social interaction where we're all talking about these things. So everything feels like it's ha we're watching all of these movies in isolation and then we're just moving on to the next, or TV show, and then we're just moving on to the next one. There's nobody to talk to about it and it doesn't feel like it. any of these things have any lasting value in the culture. I agree. I totally agree. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, and, and, it, and I think it, I guess it started with, with, shows being dropped the entire season and then you know you have the option of watch the whole thing right uh i think it started with that and i i guess combined with everything else that's going on right now uh it just made things worse yeah um we'll see we'll see how it how it you know how things are gonna if, I don't, if things are gonna change or if it's gonna re stay the same and we're just gonna have to adapt to it to a new reality i do have a fear of whether we're we're going to get back to the way things were when it comes to how we consume our and talk about our pop right. culture i want to know we're going to wrap this up here i want to know if 
from, hear from you guys. Do you have a sense of what we're talking about, or did you sit through this whole conversation and go, I have no what idea what these guys are talking, talking about? about? <laughs> Does it feel like things are just... Um, I don't want to say moving too quickly because we're all stuck at home. It doesn't feel like they're moving at all. Um, does it feel like our culture has just, uh, it doesn't have the effect that it used to have on our lives. Like it doesn't feel like right, something right. we can all get together and talk about anymore. I don't know. Right. I guess the question, that's the question. Do you talk about it as often as you used to? Uh, or you do know. you wind up doing this thing where you're like, did you see X? No, I didn't. Did you see Y? No, I didn't see that either. Oh, I don't have, you know, prime or I don't have right. and you know, then that's the end of the conversation that's the end of the conversation or the other thing that happens is I'll hear from friends who are like oh my god I just started season one of Mandalorian and they start talking about it I'm like yeah that was a year and a half ago for me <laughs> I can't remember those episodes right anyway uh, our heat just kicked in because it's the coldest day of the year and it's probably screwing with our mics um, so we're going to wrap things up here Yes, it's a very crazy day here. It's a very crazy day <laughs> at Shea Tilo, but we got it all done. Yes, God bless us. And you. let us know, do you really feel like we're full of shit here? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you tell us, but it feels like um, nothing has a footprint on the culture anymore. Uh, I don't know how better to put it than that. Right. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with yes. more uh, vague and unsupported observations <laughs> about the culture. They're probably like, this was an hour of what? What? <laughs> what the hell are these two assholes talking about? We hope you got a lot of dusting done while you were listening to us. <laughs> All right. Until then, we love you, and we'll be back next week. Love you, Mina. Bye-bye. <laughs>